Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, I chat to authors about their books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, I welcome Chris Hammer. Scrublands, his first novel, was published in 2018, shortlisted for the Best Debut Fiction at the Indie Book Awards, shortlisted for Best General Fiction at the ABIA Awards, shortlisted for the UTS Glenda Adams Award for New Writing at the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards, and won the UK Crime Writers Association John Creasley Debut Dagger Award. His second novel, Silver, was published in 2019 and is shortlisted for Best General Fiction at the ABIA Awards. Today I speak to him about trust. Oh, it's such an honour, Danny, um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. <laughs> Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about <laughs> and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, Chris Hammer. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast to talk about your latest book. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's talk about trust. For the people who haven't yet gotten their hands on it, can you give us a quick elevator pitch as to what this one is about? Okay, it's the third in the series, follow-up from Scrublands and Silver, although it can absolutely be read as a standalone. Um, A number of people have read it as a standalone and have liked it. And some of them have then wanted to go back and read the previous books, Scrublands and Silver. The books all feature the same main protagonist or two protagonists. That's the rather damaged journalist Martin Scarsden and his partner Mandalay Blonde. And what Trust does, whereas the first two books were told very much from Martin's point of view and dealt with his emotional journey... This book's a bit different because, one, it deals with um, Mandalay or Mandy, her past, but also there's two points of view. There's Martin and Mandy, and they alternate pretty much chapter for chapter. And that gives the, um, I must confess, the uh, unintended consequence of making the book even pacier than the first two. So it sort of has, it's a crime book, but it has elements of the thriller in it as well. Uh, It starts off with the two of them, living quite a blissful life and then in rapid succession uh, Mandy is abducted there's an unconscious uh, policeman on the floor of their living room and pretty soon afterwards Martin discovers that Mandy was once engaged to be married and the body of her fiance has just been discovered Great elevator pitch. Now, I did want to ask you, because this does follow the two different perspectives, when did you always intend to do that for this book or did that happen sort of incidentally as you were writing? It grew out of necessity, really. Um, as I said, the first the first book, Scrublands, is, you know, I thought I'd try my hand at writing a crime fiction book. And when I started, I thought the, the be-all and end-all of crime fiction was the plot. 
And as I wrote and threw things away and rewrote and tried new things, I discovered there's a whole lot more to a good crime book. There's settings, there's character, there's morality, there's writing, there's all sorts of things. But by the time I finished, what I discovered I really liked about the book was Martin's own emotional journey. So he he evolves during the telling of the story. So by the time I'd finished Scrublands, I had this idea, oh, I'd like to know more about Martin. So Silver is him going back to his um, old hometown, Port Silver, and coming to terms with the demons of his past, the traumatic events of his youth and what happened to his family, uh, which he does resolve in Silver. And by the end of that, I was thinking, what about Mandy? And I, and I realised it was this kind of 10-year gap in her backstory that hadn't been addressed in, in Scrublands or Silver. And so I thought, well, sh- I want to know more about her. So I started imagining what might have happened in those 10 years. And then it became pretty obvious that I couldn't tell it for, solely from Martin's point of view um, because while he can be quite perceptive in some ways, emotionally at least he's not that perceptive. So I actually thought I might flip the whole thing and tell the whole story in trust from uh, Mandalay's point of view. Um, but as, it, as I got to writing, it worked better having the two points of view. And that also lends itself to the theme of the book, the title of the book, of the book which is Trust. So early on, you know, Martin discovers that Mandy's had this fiancé, um, but she's never trusted him enough to tell him about this chapter in her life. And now she's wondering, you know, can she trust him now? And they're both thinking, you know, can they trust the police? Can they trust the media? And that whole dynamic, of course, is enabled by having two points of view. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point there. I thought the same thing, the two perspectives. It really added that extra depth of, you know, you can't trust anyone. And even when you do trust someone, they still have secrets from you, which I thought was really interesting. It kind of evolved. It wasn't, I think a lot of readers think, um, writers think about their books in a very objective and intellectual way, where I think a lot of us actually uh, are more emotionally involved and storylines and books evolve over time as we as we sort of ride along with the characters. That's very much the case with me at any rate. And I like how you said that books, the crime fiction particularly, now there's so much more than just a dead body. You know, your books have been described as being atmospheric with Australian settings and a range of colourful characters, intricate plots, descriptive language and emotional depth. And because crime writing has become so big in Australia, particularly, you know, with crime writers from Australia like yourself, I think readers do expect more than, you know, the dead body and the plot. So you're so right when you say it's about setting and character and emotional depth and that's exactly what trust does I think really well. Oh thank you. Now the book is about the past and how it catches up with you and I was really interested in the question and you may not have the answer but it's fun to explore but how much does the past define you and can you carve out a new future or a new you for yourself but are you always marred by that past because that you know that's a very strong element in the book and I was wondering how you develop the characters and what your feeling was about that. Yeah, it's kind of a recurring theme that builds up throughout mm. the books, actually. Because right, right in the beginning of Scrublands, when Martin first meets Mandy, she st- starts talking about karma and fate and whether you can escape the past. 
um, without answering the question, just sort of posing it to Martin. So I guess it's a question rather than me kind of trying to give some sort of glib answer now. It's a good question for readers, I think, and I thought many readers will come to you know different conclusions on that one. But yeah, it is a recurring theme in the book. And uh, I, like, I like the idea of getting the reader to think and then reflect as well upon you know themselves and whether you can become a new you or if you're always marred by your past. That's what I really took from this book, and that's what I was thinking as well. Can you ever really renew yourself, or you're always marred by it? So it is interesting how you let the reader explore that for themselves. What I've found, um, Danny, is that readers, sometimes it's as if they've they've read completely different books. You know, two readers might come up and and they might both like the book, but they'll like it for very different reasons. Um, And what you realise over time is you think you've written a certain book, but of course reading a book is a creative act in itself and different people will pull different things out of it. You know, someone will listen to this podcast and go, God, I really like that book, but what are they banging on about? (laughs) So I think it's it's probably smart as the author not to be too prescriptive about what you're trying to get out in books. You've You've got to give room for the reader to discover things for themselves. And I like the idea of the reader then taking the book and the author no longer owns it because you're putting your own context to it and your own history and your own thoughts to it. So it does, it becomes your very own experience. And I like that, especially when you go to, you know, a book club or you speak to a friend about the same book or, you know, I've been an English teacher for a lot of years and you sit and talk about the same book and you're absolutely right. And you go, oh, I never thought about it that way. I mean, that's the best conversations you can have about the same book, I reckon. Absolutely. But, you know, that's what I love about reading, uh, that immersive experience when you really enter uh, the world of a book and it takes you away from the everyday and you're there and you're experiencing it. But, of course, you're experiencing it through your own sort of framework, right? So, of course, every reader is different. Mm, mm, I really like that. And I think that's what really shows that it's a really good book, that it can be read in multiple ways with multiple layers, you know, and different people read it in different ways. I think that's the mark of a very good book. Mm. Yeah, that's, I certainly like reading books that work on, you know, multiple levels. Mm. Now, with your character, we've we've touched on it a little bit, but with Martin Scarsden, I mean, he's three, three books in now, even though he's only one perspective of the two in trust. How do you develop a character over three books? Is it something that is always, you know, there in your head or like you said, you're sort of driven by those emotions and what the book needs at the time? Because a character over three books, they've got to be the same and, and readers have to expect some things from them, but they also have to evolve as well. Yeah, so Martin, as I said, it, it, it took me almost by surprise in Scrublands that how Martin had changed. You know, by the time I'd finished the book, I realised the book that I'd written was quite different and, and you know I, I felt better than the sort of book that I started out trying to to write and but I was just trying to get that book right I threw out god I threw out hundreds of thousands of words while I was writing Scrublands trying to get it right so I definitely wasn't <laughs> sparing any thoughts for how how to write silver or trust um, but by the time I'd finished Scrublands I knew there was more to him and then again in silver and again, to an extent, in trust, although it's in many ways it's more Mandy's story. Um, you touched on an interesting point, though. 
Mandy was a little bit difficult to write at times um, because she's not a particularly consistent personality. She can be a little bit erratic. So I wanted to get that over. Um, but it's a, it's a bit delicate because you don't want the reader to, or some readers go, hang on, why is she acting like this now? And she didn't act like this before and things like that. So that was a little bit, bit, bit of a challenge, if you like. Um, but it also made, it made the work a bit intriguing as well. And I think that's, I think that's a good thing. You know, you don't want your characters simply to be, as you say, you want them to be able to change over time. And that's what human beings are. You know, we're never the same. We're different when we're with different people. We're different when we think about our past or when we're with our childhood friends to when we're with our new friends. Like I think humans are like that. You know, we are very adaptable and we do become different versions of ourselves in different contexts. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to ask about your writing process because in your books there are lots of layers and complexities to the storyline and I want to ask how you keep all those threads intact. Is it something that you plan before you go in or do you just pants it or do you stop halfway? What's your process and has your process changed throughout the three books? Yeah, so my natural disposition, if you like, is a pantser. So I'll have a seed of an idea and it'll just grow and grow from there as I write the book and then often by the time I getting to the end and I think I know where it's going I get a better idea and then I go back and change things uh, not a particularly efficient sort of way of doing it um, so with silver once again I had a better idea by the end and I threw out maybe the last 30 or 40,000 words and rewrote the end um, although I think I always had the the emotional ending with Martin I think I had had that worked out pretty quickly so I'm trying to evolve that writing process a bit. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to be an out-and-out plotter because in the writing of the book, inevitably my imagination will wander and I'll come up with a better idea. But with, with trust, I tried to approach it a little bit differently and that was I didn't really have an absolute idea how all the crime threads and there's three or four different crime threads running through the through the book with with different characters but I did have an idea of where Mandy was going to end up sort of emotionally if you like so I knew where she was starting and I kind of thought I knew where she was finishing I just didn't know what the journey would be like you know in between there um, and I'm working on another book now and I'm pretty much maybe trying to push that idea a little bit further, having a, a better idea of where the people are finishing up, um, but then still giving lots of room for, um, for flexibility and things to change in that, you know, as the story unfolds. And so, so as I go through, through drafts and writing, it, everything is always changing. Um, I think if, if I ever get time one day to go back and read my early drafts, I think I'd, I'd absolutely surprise myself of what sort of things were originally there. It's interesting that you have the idea of the ending, but then as you're writing, things just naturally and change and occur. So I like that, though. I like you sort of working towards something, but also flexible enough to go, hang on, no, this is going to work better. So I think that's, you know, that's even though you're pantsing, there's still an element of, you know, being flexible and that end point that you've got to get to. Yeah, I think it's that 
if if I get a reasonable idea where the emotional story is going to end up, then the crime stuff is a little bit more about a bit about logic, but also about the characters that have grown. So, you know, trust starts with Martin and Mandy, and I've got a pretty good idea who they are. And there's a bunch of returning minor characters too. Um, even though the book is set in, in Sydney, um, many of the police are back. Um, Klaus Vandenbroek and Morris Montefiore and Ivan Lukic and there's um, the media, there's Max Fuller and Doug Funkelton and Darcy Defoe and um, uh, uh, Mandy's very fierce uh, solicitor, uh, Winifred Barbican. They're all coming back and they've already got developed characters. But then there's all these new characters and you're going, well, what are they really like? And I, I really don't like the idea of um, having goodies and baddies, you know, just white hats, black hats, that sort of thing. So it always helps if the people who do bad things, you can see a reason why they've done it. And maybe it's a bad reason, but sometimes maybe they're doing bad things with good intentions. And conversely, you have people who... Um, who are otherwise doing good things, maybe they're doing it with bad intentions. And even um, even Martin, you know, in his work as a journalist, has been known to, you know, cut a few co- a few ethical corners here and there. <laughs> I like that because it, it's true. It's true about human beings. You know, generally none of us are all good and none of us are all bad and we sort of go in that grey area occasionally, but we're very good at justifying things to ourselves too. You know, if we particularly want something or we want to do something, we're very good at justifying the reasons for it, whether it is good or bad. I think it helps fire the imagination of the reader too, both in a before when they're going, what's this person up to? And then and then in reflection afterwards, why did they do that? Oh, maybe, oh, I see why they were doing that. Oh, okay. So it gives it a bit more... You know, something a bit more substantial to chew over, I guess. Now, why are you drawn to crime? I mean, before these three books, you were writing, you know, two books of non-fiction and then Scrublands obviously is crime and you've continued through that genre. What draws you to crime fiction? Look, I I wrote the two non-fiction books. I really enjoyed writing them and um, I'd learnt that I really liked writing, the actual process of writing as opposed to the idea of, being a writer or living a writerly life or having books published. Um, and I learnt that I could kind of do it. Um, but I also learnt that there was no money in it. So I had to go back and get a real job. And so I couldn't, I didn't have the time or the money to continue with non-fiction. So because I missed writing, I just did it in my spare time. So Scrublands just grew out kind of like a hobby but a rather serious hobby and that I always aim to get it published um so that was that was why fit fiction now crime fiction itself um I've always liked crime fiction but I'm not a, a rusted on crime fiction aficionado you meet people who read nothing else but crime fiction you know they read 50 or 100 or 150 books a year all crime fiction I think my go-to is more like contemporary Australian fiction, um, uh, but also UK, American and that. But I had read some crime that I really liked, the old Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett-type books. I'd read Michael Connolly. Um, but I think the biggest influence was Peter Temple, 
who was actually my writing teacher at uni. So when teaching like journalistic writing, so when he started publishing his Jack Irish books, I read those and really liked them and found them very entertaining. And then, of course, he, he wrote The Broken Shore and Truth, which are exceptional books and kind of transcend crime in a sense. And they're, they're quite literary uh, to the extent that Truth won the Miles Franklin Award. Um, so I thought Peter had shown you could do much more with a crime book than just, you know, a whodunit. And I didn't really have the confidence to write a purely literary novel. And plus, I didn't know what the hell I'd want to write about, even if I had the, the, the sort of talent and ability. That, And I thought, you know, I, I kind of like crime. I'm going to try my hand at this. So it's a it's a long winded way, and now I've <laughs> and now I find myself as a crime writer. I'm just so glad that I did, um, and 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 as a consequence, I've been reading so much crime too to keep up, you know, with my peers are doing and people you're on panels with, and you might be asked to endorse a book or something like that. So I've been reading a lot, and I've been really really enjoying it. There's some great contemporary crime, particularly in Australia at the moment. Like it's, it, there's just some amazing books out. There's there are so many. It's very hard to um, it's very hard to keep up with them all. But the good thing is, I think um, as a consequence of Jane Harper's great success with the dry, publishers in Australia were suddenly alerted. Hey, there's a market here, and started publishing more books and promoting them more but not just that um, because the drive was also such a massive success internationally uh, including the UK and the US I think after that a lot of us have been able to get book deals internationally that maybe uh, we wouldn't we would have struggled to have gotten before that and so it's almost like success has bred success and as more people have done well and it seems like there's a there's a very big appetite um, there. Not entirely sure why. I think it's because crime can cover so many bases. Also, possibly because people have really like binge watching crime shows on Netflix and iView and things like that. Um, so maybe one feeds off the other a bit. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I had a conversation with Craig Sisterson the other day about exactly that and, you know, why people love crime so much. And, you know, we said exactly the same things because it covers so much. It's not just the dead body. It's all the layers and the intricacies. It's escape. But then people love true crime and then people want to know, you know, people are very interested in what makes people do bad things, you know, and we can explore that through books. Well, that's the thing about crime now. Typically, it will involve murder. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you can't at the end of the book say oh the killer yeah they were just having an off day so they killed someone <laughs> that's right <laughs> so that's right you've got, to, you've, you've got to give them a bit more motivation so you start getting into the issues of morality and ethics and you know yeah. nowadays your typical crime book i mean they're very they're very varied so it's dangerous to make generalizations but often a killer isn't some sort of Mr. Big, hardened criminal sort of type. Mm. It's just an ordinary member of the community, for example, so who's been pushed too far for some reason. So it makes for a great examination of different people and their different moralities and their different life stories. And I think that's 
that's the other thing too that a lot of crime books I've heard this said and I think there's an element of truth to it at the end of a crime book you pretty much know what happened okay which is not something I always do with uh, in true crime but the the you know who did it or why did it or how did it um, and there's a sense of, of justice prevailing because you know the killer has been exposed and I think there's a certain that appeals to people too that sense that you know justice has been done yeah absolutely now Chris I always like to end on the question of why do you write well <laughs> how silly of me I've heard you ask this question it's such a good question um, I th- I'm saying silly of me because I should have thought about it. Um, look, the, the, the sort of simple, superficial answer is because I love it so much and I'm addicted to it and it gives me a lot of joy and a lot of uh, satisfaction. The reason it, it gives me joy and that sense of satisfaction, I think it's just the creative urge to make... To have made to make something out of nothing, there's something kind of magic about that, and I think that's I'm kind of I love the process, but I'm kind of addicted to that rush of of just having something come out of the ether. A great answer, even if you didn't think about it before I think they're the best answers when I ask that because they become more truthful rather than rehearsed <laughs> and I always get such yeah. great answers <laughs> it is I it's been of your podcast I love hearing the most and then I think oh what hang on I should... okay anyway I don't seriously I don't think I could I could spend a week and I wouldn't come up with a better answer. <laughs> oh, that's good. I think the, the, the more on the spot, the more truthful, the more pause. There is a longer pause usually with people like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not prepared for this question. But then yeah. we dig a bit deeper and we get the truth. So yeah. I think it's, um, it's a, yeah, it's a great answer. So thank you. But look, Chris, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure reading your books and, and now being able to finally chat with you. And you've had just such great success with all three of them. And I think it's just absolutely well-deserved. And I'm a huge fan of Australian crime fiction. And I love the way that, you know, we've been so successful with crime writers in this country. So thank you so much. And I think I put on um, social media when I was reading it, you know, you just know when a writer just knows what they're doing, you know, and I just thought this was just beautifully written. That's very kind of you. The other other thing I should add about being a crime writer in Australia is it's such a good mob of people. Everyone is so kind of supportive of each other and enjoys each other's success. It is really collegiate. And yes. um, one of the problems, of course, of COVID, we haven't been seeing so much of each other. <laughs> Normally you might catch up with someone, you, you know, you met at a festival last year and then you run into them somewhere else. So I'm really looking forward to that recommencing, fingers crossed.